Thank you, Pastor Bob and praise team. Well, we're in our Generations series and talking about building a legacy together. And uh, week four, and uh, I believe we this is a seven-week series, and so we'll be through this by the end of uh, uh, the end of September. And so I hope you're enjoying the series. I'm enjoying going through this. And we're, we're talking about generations and, and working together and how the strength of the church is, is not uh, just being an older church or a younger church, but many generations working together and, and serving together and worshiping together. And as, as you look around our sanctuary this morning, you see many different generations uh, reflected in our midst. And, 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 and this is just a, a snapshot. You also have our, our kids in, in other areas and people serving in other areas and another service. And so I'm thankful to be part of a church that has many generations that, that are part of our fellowship, our gatherings together. We've been using as our template or our scripture, Psalm 145.4, which says, One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. And, and this scripture implies a couple of things. It implies generations communicating together back and forth, meaning that, that older people learn and, and are encouraged by younger folks, and younger folks are encouraged and learn from older folks that somehow together uh, we are better. And, and I, I truly believe that the church is meant to be generational. Now, when we've said that, uh, ju just to kind of go back on what we've talked about, that, that means that one generation feeds and learns uh, from another. And also there's this ideal that generations coming together through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, through the example of Christ's love, we can be together even though we acknowledge that there are generational differences, there are cultural differences, even in this congregation that are represented. But somehow, through the supernatural, the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, God can make us one, much like a family, even though we have differences. And so we've been tracking what are those characteristics of a church that connect not only to, to younger people, but also connects to, to all people. Because I believe these principles aren't true just for younger folks. I believe they're true for, for all people. That, that, that these characteristics we're talking about are valuable to me. And I'm not younger. And all God's people said, amen, right? You know, I'm like, an, uh, well, I'm not younger. Uh, and, and so these, these are characteristics that I desire when I go to a church. I, I, want, a church that, that where, I want a church where Jesus is Lord. When, when we say that and we mean it, we're not just giving lip service. We're just not going through motions. But when we say Jesus is Lord, it changes how we live our lives. I want to be part of a church where, where people have a say in what we do and, and, and Many people are participating in leadership. And, and today we're going to talk about empathy. I want to be part of a church where people are empathetic to me and empathetic to others. And, and I guess if you want to use a contrasting word, I, I don't want to be part of a church that's judgmental. Do you? No, we don't, do we? We want to be part of a church that is empathetic and understands uh, that, that people have unique circumstances and sees them like that. Empathy connects us generationally. Now, th this is a message for the church. This is a series for the church. But, but I believe these truths go across our life. And, and so if you're in a workplace 
and, and you're struggling dealing with people from other generations, empathy is a tool that will allow you to connect to people in a workplace. Right? Just understanding people. So, so maybe, you're, maybe your boss is older and, and, and you're having trouble understanding him or her or connecting to him or her. Empathy is, is, is a key thing to, to, to being able to connect. If you have younger workers that, that, that somehow you're not connecting, empathy is important. Maybe you're in school. Maybe your neighbors are older or younger and you're having trouble connecting them. Empathy is an important characteristic if you want to connect. In our families, and I, I, we, we usually don't have to preach about this or talk about this in families because it's natural. In families, empathy, care, grace, instead of judgment is what connects us generationally. You know, when I see my boys and they have a different perspective, I don't respond with judgment. I respond with empathy. And so because I respond with empathy instead of judgment, Spencer's shaking his head saying, no, sometimes it's judgment, Dad. Spencer, I'm preaching here. (laughs) When we respond with empathy within the confines of our family, it connects us generationally. And so empathy connects us. And so what is empathy? As defined by Stanford University's D School, Design School, emphasizing is the work, and I want to emphasize that word, the work you do to understand people. It is your effort to understand the way they do things and why their physical and emotional needs, how they think about the world, and what is meaningful to them. Do you you catch... You know, em- emphasize, empathizing with other people is just not, oh, well, I want to empathize. But to empathize with other people takes work and it takes effort. It, it, it does not, I, I don't believe that for the vast majority of us, now, now there may be an empathetic soul that empathizes with everyone at all times, but, but, but I know in my life, this is not a natural characteristic. Anybody else like me, that, that that's not natural. It takes effort and work to empathize with other people. And, and it just does not happen unless we are intentional in our actions. And, and so we've been talking about these characteristics. We've been using Paul and Timothy as the model. Paul, of course, is this great apostle. And Timothy is this disciple that, that Paul chooses. And, and, and before we go any further... I emphasize this in, in, in the first service. You realize these characteristics um, are, are generally led by those who are more mature in their faith. And so, you know, maturity in faith is, is not necessarily related to your age, but, but generally I think it should be a fair assumption. If you've served God for 30 or 40 years and been part of the church for 30 or 40 years, I have an expectation as a pastor, maybe this isn't fair, but I have an expectation as a pastor that you are more mature in your faith than someone who's just beginning to serve the Lord. Does that make sense? And so the onus, the, the responsibility, the, the leadership in these characteristics that does not necessarily begin with younger individuals, but older individuals that say, I am mature in my faith, and even though maybe these younger folks aren't empathizing with me like I would like, I will take the leadership and show them how to live this way. Now, now that's a, 
That's a big burden for those of us who are more mature in our faith. And I, and I count myself as being more mature in my faith. I mean, I, I, I've been in the church my entire life. I've been saved a long time. I've been sanctified a long time. God's called me to preach. And, and what's the Scripture say? To whom much is given, much is expected. And so, folks, those of us who've been around for a while, there is a lot expected from us, and we need to be leading in these areas. And Paul shows us that. Paul, Paul is the apostle. Paul is the leader. Paul is the mature believer who begins to invest in the life of Timothy who's the younger disciple. Now, I believe in the life of Timothy, you begin to see these characteristics that Paul has poured into his life being poured out of Timothy towards Paul as well. But I believe that Paul begins the process. And you see Paul modeling empathy with Timothy. Now, these are the kind of things pastors think about. We're weird, uh, you know, I'll wonder, you know, when, when Timothy's writing these letters, Paul's writing these letters. <laughs> Maybe we ought to just get, I'll just get Bob, you can step here or whoever, and you can just correct as I go along. I've heard it before. Oh, you've heard it. <laughs> as Paul <laughs> is writing these letters, do you ever wonder what he was thinking? Yeah, do you ever think, was, was Paul saying in my mind, oh, I am being inspired by the Holy Spirit, and 2,000 years from now, people will be reading my words on a Sunday morning and talking about them. Do you think? You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I wonder that. that that's, a, that's a question. Does Paul have in his mind, as he's writing these letters to Timothy, that, that God is inspiring him to the degree that these words are going to become Holy Scripture? like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Amos and Genesis. and I think Paul had an understanding. I don't know if he understood the ramifications of what he was writing, but I believe Paul understood because God was using him that what he was writing was significant and meaningful, valuable. Every word that he wrote. And yet you find... And and I know, folks, we're Nazarene, and this, this, this will be difficult in our sensibilities and our perspective, but in the middle of this letter to Timothy, there is this deeply personal concern where Paul says, Timothy, this is the middle of the Bible, <laughs> the middle of this holy word, Timothy. Son, your stomach's bothering you. Have a glass of wine every once in a while to settle your stomach down. Now, the implication is that Timothy's not drinking wine for spiritual reasons, for religious purposes, to, to, to set himself apart. And, and probably he's receiving pressure from those in the congregation that say, hey, you know, you should live in this way. And yet in the middle of Scripture, Paul says, Timothy, son, oh, don't worry about those other folks. I'm more concerned about you. Empathy. And in the middle, and, 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 and you wonder, why, why, why is that there? Couldn't he have done it in like in a post? Why is it there? Maybe God wants us to see that people are more important than sometimes rules. Amen? Amen? 
that, that maybe the expectations of others does not trump the needs of Timothy. And Paul is showing empathy to this young man. Now, scripturally, Paul says in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. In other words, feel what other people are feeling. And, and I believe in, in a nutshell, if I was going to take one scripture that defined what it means to be empathetic, I believe this scripture shows it. Rejoice when people are rejoicing. Mourn when people are mourning. You guys ever hear of Steve Jobs? Flashy's picture up there. Eh, you know, do I look like him now? You guys know who Steve Jobs is, right? Um, you know, when, when Steve Jobs was... 13, 14 years old, he was deeply interested in the things of God. He was part of a church. He, he was interested in, 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 in God. He was interested in church. And one day he went to his pastor and he said, Pastor, does, does God know how many fingers I'm holding up or something to that extent? And, and the pastor said, well, yeah, Steve, God, God knows exactly how many fingers you're holding up. And then Steve pointed him out some starving children in Africa and said, does he know about these kids? And what's he going to do about it? And the pastor said, oh, yeah, Steve, he knows. He knows. And God will deal with it. And that was the end. You know, he walked out of the church and never went back again. Because this deep question, and, and, and probably it was a deeper question than that. Maybe the question was, was more beyond starving children in Africa and more about why am I being bullied and, and why are we having financial problems and, 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 and why was I adopted and left when I was a child? See, if this pastor would have maybe, and I don't want to throw everything on this pastor, what, what, what if this pastor would have said, you know, Steve, that's a good question. Why don't you and your father and I have lunch together somewhere and talk about it? Well, what if his parents would have seen the deep urges within him and began to answer his questions, to be empathetic to the concerns inside him? What, what if someone would have seen the searching in this young man's soul and done more than just placate with basic answers. You know, what could have Steve Jobs done for the kingdom of God if he had put his brilliance behind the kingdom of God? See, empathy is moving beyond just the normal and the questions to the deep. Now, I don't believe this is a younger and older issue. That, you know, like I said earlier, I don't believe that an empathetic church is just desirable for younger people. I think an empathetic church is the desire of older people. And in our congregation, I believe we have 25 and under that need us to be empathetic to their particular place in life. And then I also believe we have people who are shut-ins, that as a church, we need to be empathetic. Terry Moore and Sharon Carcone are doing such a great job of caring for people who are beginning to, to be a little bit less mobile. Folks, we need to be empathetic to people. We need to care for them wherever they find themselves in life, whether they be younger or whether they be older. Now, to be empathetic, 
We dive into the deep questions of life, and the first question is, who am I? This is a question of identity, and I believe this is a question that those who are younger and those who are older ask. Who am I? Why am I here? Where do I fit? And this is a question of belonging. And I believe, once again, this is a question that younger and older struggle with. And what difference do I make in this question of purpose? And, and to be empathetic means that, that, that we delve very deeply into these issues. To, to be empathetic means that, that we listen more than we speak. And we spend time not trying to give answers, but trying to be empathetic and understanding of the other person's perspective. Do, do you realize... And, and I'll just go to our, our younger folks now. Do you realize that recent studies show that 13 to 17-year-olds struggle with extreme stress more than any demographic currently around? Do you, do you guys realize that? Is Josh in here for this service? Am I right, Josh? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. That's what I make him call me. Those under 25, and, and, and it's, it's, to be honest, if you're my age, it, it's, we, we kind of lose this perspective. I, I don't remember a lot of stress when I was 14 or 15, but folks, what I am experiencing, what I am seeing now is those who are under 25 are experiencing stress like no other time in history that I can recall, that I'm aware of. I mean, maybe it's been there in the past, but right now, the stress levels for those under 25 is through the roof. And that has shown up by objective studies, and it shows up in my conversations with kids who are trying to just get through the pressures of life. Stress is real. And I, and I know as older folks, sometimes we look at kids and think, man, I wish I, who, who's ever said, I wish I was in high school again, right? <laughs> but the truth is, right now, for whatever reason, and, and, and I don't know the, the re I mean, that would be an interesting conversation, wouldn't it? You know, is it media? Is it, is it all the screens? Is it, what is it that's causing this, this extreme stress? I, I believe, and, 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 and I believe the suicide rate for those under 25 is extreme compared to what it was 30 years ago. Josh, am I right? Something's going on. And so we who are older, we who are more mature in our faith, have to have an empathetic spirit, an empathetic attitude towards those struggling with these issues. And here's some practical application things uh, that, that as we move through this. Everyone has a faith journey, a similar faith journey with similar mileposts. In other words, all of us have went through some of the same issues. <laughs> now, I, as an older person, Sometimes it's easy to look back and, and see younger folks and think, oh, I never had to deal with that. But then if we pay attention, we realize we did also. Um, Spencer, cover your ears. Cover your ears. Yeah. How many guys remember when they first drove a car how stupid you were? Raise your hand, right? <laughs> 
You know, we, we've all had those things that we've went through, that, that journey of life. And, and it's easy as we get older to look back and say, well, those silly kids. When in fact, we made some of the same decisions ourselves. Younger folks. <laughs> those things that you're going through, the questions you have. Some of us with a little bit more gray and flesh on our head <laughs> understand. And not only do we understand, but it's not that we want to be judgmental or that we're trying to control, but we see the hardship and the heartache that some of our stupid decisions caused us. And all we want to do is help you avoid some of the mistakes we made. Now, I think there could be better ways we can give that information, but that's the truth. We have experience, and sometimes we forget that sometimes we ignored other people's experience. And we need to share in those. Second, don't stereotype generationally. <laughs> in other words, it's so easy. And I think media does a good job of, of, of harming our minds in this way or shaping our minds in this way. It's so easy to begin to think all 20-somethings are, all 60-somethings are. Whenever anyone gets over 70, they uh and fill in the blank, don't stereotype generationally. And the only way, I believe the prime way we avoid this generational stereotyping is through relationship. Getting to know people across generational bounds. That, that is the primary way. Because when you begin to really get to know people, most of the time, our stereotypes fall apart. You know, all of us have been watching this, this craziness, this racial craziness all around us. And as the people of God, folks, that's got to make us sick, right? <laughs> you know, that, that, that's, not what, that's not what God wants in our country. That's not, that, it, it's so ugly as you see this, this hatred. And, and, and I know this, what, what I have found as I've gotten to know people across racial lines is all those old stereotypes and prejudices begin to fall away. And it's the same generationally. That, that as we begin to, to know other generations, our prejudices begin to, to fade. When you see something from another generation you don't understand, ask why. <laughs> and when I say when you don't understand something, for, I'm 54 years old. If I see 14-year-olds doing something and I don't understand, I probably shouldn't ask another 54-year-old, okay? Because we would have no clue. But maybe ask Spencer, who's close to 14, why in the world? What's that mean? I got to tell you, I've asked and I've done it. I still don't know what the dabbing means. I, I mean, it's, it, it's went beyond me. Uh, you know, I know it means something and it's really cool, but he tells me every time I do it to stop. Um, <laughs> ask why. See your facility and your worship service. See our facility and our worship service through another generation's eyes. In other words, when you walk into this place, begin to imagine, what, what would you think if you were 14, 15, if, you, if you're an older person, or, or 21? What would you think about how we do things, what, what we do? If, if, if you're a younger person, think about how an older person might perceive. You know, try to see the world through someone else's eyes. That's empathy. You know, don't belittle 
other generations. You know, pr prejudice and, and judgments and, and generalizations are our ways, and, and we've all been guilty of it, generalizations is our way of belittling people to fit them into our little box. And when we do it generationally, we harm what God's trying to do in our church. Build a relationship with at least one person from a different generation. I'm not asking you to know every child in our youth group or every college student that graces our doors. I'm asking you to know one more person. <laughs> That's it. In the next three months, by, De by December 31st, I, I want you to have a beginning of a friendship with someone in another generation. Now, I got good news for you. What are we doing today? Picnic. Picnic, okay? This is a perfect opportunity. And you're thinking, oh, crud. Now he's making it something more than just fun. It's an assignment. What's your assignment for the picnic? What do you have to do? Learn, Learn one joke. And your assignment, if somebody tells you the joke, is to laugh just like you laugh at my jokes. <laughs> no, you laugh better than that. Come on, Bob, give me the laugh. Thank you. <laughs> to laugh. You know, find a way to connect with one other person and begin to get to know them and spend some time and really begin to see life through their eyes. Now, I understand this is, this is not, you know, this is church, right? Right? This is church. You know, and I'm a preacher and this is a sermon. And so, you know, it's like, okay, at the end of sermons, there should be response. You know, we, we do altars. And, and as I thought about this, this is not an altar call sermon, Right? Right? But then as I said in the first service, it, kinda, it just kind of hit me. Do you know we have an empathetic God? <laughs> have you ever thought about that? I, I don't know what your image of God is. Uh, you know, I, I love that song we sing, Amy, Good, Good Father. And, and I can't say the line, I've heard many asking or seeking. Or Can you put that, just put that up there if you... But no pressure, Meryl. <laughs> I've seen many searching for answers far and wide. In other words, I think what the songwriter is trying to say is there's all these imaginings of who God is, right? Isn't that the question of the day? Who is God? And then I think the songwriter moves from what he's heard people saying and and he gets into this deep personal relationship with God. And what he sees is, God, my Father. <laughs> and I don't know what your image is, your ideal of God. Maybe you see God as this judgmental taskmaster. <laughs> you know what the Bible reveals God as? God, our Father. Abba, Father. God has empathy on you. And whatever you're going through, good or bad, and you know, maybe it's been a good week, maybe it's been a bad week, but God has empathy for you. Um, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. 
God has so much empathy for you that he wants to experience life just like you experience it. There's nothing that you've encountered that Jesus has not encountered. So he stands before the heavenly throne, before God our Father. And those things that we think we're all alone dealing with, Jesus says, I understand. That's hard. That hurts. So we have a God... A father who's empathetic to you wherever you find yourself. I, I think that's worth responding to, don't you? Yeah. So we're going to spend, it's, it's, it's a quarter till. Um, I, I'm going to give you some space to pray. Our altars are always available. What's that mean? Well, altars are just a great place to come and meet with God, and maybe there's something you're going through, and you just want to talk to God at an altar. i got to tell you, I've, I've received, if you've received help at an altar in, in your life, raise your hand. Look at those hands. God can help you at an altar. Maybe you just want to come. Maybe you want to bring somebody with you. But I'm going to give you a couple minutes, and and then I'm going to close this in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, um, we're thankful that while we were lost, while we were sinners, while we were far from you, you took pity on us and you sent your son Jesus to die in our place. For if you didn't come, Jesus didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. And so, Lord, we live with this understanding as we've encountered you that you are deeply concerned for us. Enough concerned to send your son. And Lord, you call us to be like you. Like father, like son, like daughter. Loving, empathetic for those around us. And like Jesus, Lord, for us to practice this empathy, we can't do it from afar. But Lord, we do it in deep, significant relationships with other people. Getting to know them, walking a mile in their shoe, crying when they cry, laughing when they laugh. There's no other way. And so Lord, as I I consider all that you're calling us to be is... Christians, as followers of Jesus, I ask you to help us to follow the example of Jesus, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't want to live above the fray, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, living and dying, dying even on a cross in the midst of us, ordinary human beings.
So Lord, give us that willingness to let go of our right to be God, to let go of our comfort and our desires, to let go of our comfort zone even, Lord, and allow others in. Help us, Lord, to love like Jesus loved. Now, Lord, we give you praise. We give you thanks. We're, we're thankful, Lord, for the, the afternoon we're going to have at Elger Park at 5 o'clock, yeah. a picnic. And, Lord, we wonder, can, can something like that be holy and sanctified and set apart for you? <laughs> and, Lord, I believe it can. That as we love one another and we laugh together and we enjoy each other's presence, may your Holy Spirit fill that time in such a way May people see us, and may they know we are our, your disciples by how we love one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.